0: Well, this morning we're continuing on in our series of uh, On the Road, Journeying with Christ. Um, this is our, our Advent series, and I think it's a pretty fitting name for it because um, in many ways Advent is a journey, right? Uh, it's a, a journey towards uh, the celebration of Christmas when we uh, remember the first coming of Christ, um, but we also look forward to the second coming of Christ as well. And so uh, we're on this journey, and so we're on this road. And uh, throughout this series, we're going to be looking at like some of the the tangible steps that we can take to um, uh, prepare ourselves for that moment. Um, taking some of these tangible steps towards um, that 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 celebration of the first coming, but also um, preparing ourselves for that second coming as well. And so last week uh, we got started with um, just a really incredible. Uh, uh, way with uh, the sharing from Allie and Teresa, and we looked at um, On the Road to Readiness, right? And we heard stories of um, two individuals where uh, they had a moment where they were just longing for, for God to make things new in their life, and there was this readiness for God to step in and bring about the, the newness that, that God brings and it just set us up really, really well for, uh, for the Advent season. So today we're going to be looking at another sort of like tangible step uh, that we can take throughout this Advent season. Um, and as we get ready to do that, uh, let's pause for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Loving God, we are uh, grateful for this chance to uh, be together and to gather together. God, we're grateful for um, the gift of technology that can uh, bring us together together. Um, when we can't necessarily do so in person. And so God, as we gather together, we recognize that your spirit is here among us and uh, all of our different uh, homes and places that we're tuning in. Um, and God, we're, we're grateful for that spirit that unites us. And as we open the scriptures, um, we ask that this uniting spirit would uh, lead us and guide us and shape us and form us into the image of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I was in uh, grad school, uh, the format of my classes were a bit unique. Um, so they were what uh, the school called three-day intensives. So uh, leading up to uh, our, in, our, our, our time together in person in class, we would have uh, pre-work, which was basically um, uh, like hundreds and hundreds of pages of reading to get us prepared for what we would be doing in class together. And then we would have three days in class together from 8 to 5 And then uh, we would have a few weeks to work on some sort of final project, typically like a a research paper on any given topic that related to the subject matter for the class. Now, the name uh, that the school gave these for three-day intensives uh, uh, certainly didn't sell it short, (laughs) because those three days that we were in class together were really, really intense. Um, There was three days in a row uh, from 8 to 5, and it often felt like we were drinking a bit from a fire hydrant. And because we had such a limited amount of time to, together in class uh, with our professor and uh, other students, uh, the professors like, didn't waste any time and often hit the ground running so that they could get as much content in as they possibly could in those three days. Now, that was my experience for almost all of my classes except for one. And that was a class on spiritual formations. And the professor that I had for uh, spiritual formations uh, was a guy by the name of Dr. John Swanson. Uh, no relation, but we uh, did like to joke about that a good bit. And so uh, John began class uh, in a pretty typical way. Uh, he uh, pulled up the syllabus and gave an overview of the class, touched on some of like, the more important details, gave a little bit of an introduction on himself. But rather than diving immediately into, like, quote-unquote, coursework, uh, he split us up into pairs. And he told us with our partners he wanted us to discuss the question in five years... Who do you want to be? Now, if you've never been in like a graduate level class, there's an awful lot of ambitious people uh, in those classes, uh, typically like ambitious towards like their career. And so uh, if you had been in that room that day, you would have overheard uh, the partners talking and you would have heard things like uh, what sort of job that people hope that they would have in five years. Uh, Or maybe you would hear what sort of educational level people would hope to have in five years. Or uh, maybe what sort of uh, accomplishments they had achieved, particularly like professionally. Now, John had been walking around the room as we were talking. And uh, about a few minutes into this discussion with one another, he stopped us and said, I just want to remind you of what the question was. He said the question was, in five years, who do you want to be? Not what do you hope to be doing or have done? And he went on to say, I'm actually not that interested in, like, what sort of job you hope to have in five years. I'm actually not that interested in what sort of educational level you have in five years. And I'm actually not that interested in what sort of, like, professional accomplishments you've done in five years. But rather, I care about hearing about who you hope to be. Now, this was a really challenging question because uh, for many of us, if not most of us, like, these are how we define and describe ourselves, right? <laughs> um, what are these like seemingly superficial things? But this is how we have um, uh, like learned and adapted to define and describe ourselves. And John seemed to recognize that. And John didn't want to just settle for these seemingly uh, superficial ways of defining and describing ourselves. But rather, he wanted to get beyond that and get to like the core of who we were. Uh, the, the essence of who we were. To get to us at like a spiritual, soulish sort of level. And so he phrased the question, who do you want to be? Now again, because this was a, a spiritual formations class, a class that deals with like, uh, um, how are we being shaped and formed into the image of Jesus? And what sort of practices and behaviors can we take on or, or step away from so that we can be shaped and formed? Um, there was like this implied second question of how do you get there so who do you want to be and how do you get there now i don't know if you've ever uh, asked yourself any either of these two questions but i find them to be like deeply unsettling and deeply uncomfortable (laughs) because these questions like again get to like the core of who we are the essence of who we are they speak to us at like a a spiritual soulish sort of level and i'll be honest like that feels really really vulnerable (laughs) Like, that's an area of my life that I would rather leave untouched, and I would rather settle for these seemingly superficial um, ways of defining and describing ourselves. And so uh, I do what I would assume many of us do. Instead of allowing our souls to, like, ask these questions, which I think they're aching for if we give them just a moment of silence... I tend to fill my life with all sorts of noise and activities and distractions so that I never give my soul the space to ask these questions that they're aching for. Um, uh, I I tend to to fill up my life so that these questions never have the room to breathe and work themselves up and actually begin to be asked in my life. But imagine if uh, one day all of these things were stripped away. All of the seemingly superficial ways that we define and describe ourselves, our education level, uh, our jobs, our uh, professional accomplishments, all of that stripped away. And imagine if one day uh, all of the things that we we fill our lives with, all of the noise, the activities, the distractions, all of that were stripped away. All of it stripped away. And all that remained were these two pesky questions of who do you want to be and how do you get there? And having everything else stripped away, we finally have space in our life to allow our souls to ask these questions that they've been aching for so long. Now, in some ways, uh, I think this would have been the experience of uh, the Jewish people, uh, the, the, the people of God, as they found themselves in this experience of exile, Now, the exile was like this incredibly dark and difficult and painful and disorienting experience for the people of God. Because remember, at one point in time, they were like this autonomous nation. They were a a nation unto themselves. But they were called to not be a a nation like all of the other nations, but rather they were called to be different. They were called to be distinct. They were called to be holy. Holy. And rather than taking on the patterns and behaviors and perspectives of all of the other nations, they were called to take on the patterns and behaviors and patterns of God's very self. And as they took on the patterns and behaviors and perspective of God's very self, they were called then to be a light and a witness to all of the other nations, um, being an example of what it means to be like fully human. But somewhere along the way, the people of God lost sight of this vision. And they began to become more and more like all of the other nations around them. And as they began to become more and more like all of the other nations around them, there was this warning that began to get louder and louder and louder throughout this course. And this warning was that of exile. And it was as if God was saying, like, if you want to be like all of the other nations, that's totally fine. But then you're going to experience life like all of the other nations. And as you become more like the other nations, I'm going to withdraw my hand of protection upon you. And so we see like this like inverse reaction where as the people are becoming more and more like all of the other nations, they're experiencing less and less the, the hand of protection of God upon them. Until one day when the big bad world superpower of the day steps in, lays claim to them as a people, and lays claim to their land, forcibly, violently removes them. And now they find themselves in a place where everything has been stripped away their family their friends the land that they've known um, all of these seemingly superficial ways of describing and defining themselves and all of the ways that they once filled their lives with noise and activity and distractions all of that has been stripped away and they're left with these nagging questions who do we want to be and how do we get there because this experience of exile, if nothing else, was a, a removal from their true selves. And I assume that their, their souls were aching to return to who they were called to be. But all of this, this changes one day. Uh, and God decides that it's time for the exile to be over. And one of the places that we're told of the news of the end of exile comes in Isaiah chapter 40. Now, Isaiah chapter 40, it begins what we might call like a post exilic portion of the book of Isaiah, meaning like it's speaking to the experience of the end of exile moving forward. And here's how it breaks the news of the end of exile. We're told, Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Notice how the news of the end of exile begins. Maybe more importantly, notice how the news of exile doesn't begin. It doesn't begin with, have you had enough? Have you learned your lesson? Will you stop screwing around? <laughs> no, it begins with a message of comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. There's this acknowledgement, yes, that like exile was the natural consequence, the natural results of the path in which they were headed down. But it also seems to suggest that like this experience of exile broke God's heart. And that when the moment of exile was over, God longed to be with the people. And God could not wait to get down on like, the ground sort of level and wrap God's loving arms around the people and bring them in and speak a word of comfort over them after this some 70 years of exile of their experience. Now following this news of the end of exile, notice what the text goes on to tell us a voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become a level shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Um, so this passage seems to suggest that like What we're about to witness is the glory of the Lord being revealed, the glory of God on full display. Now, note, like, for a people who have uh, experienced exile for, like, the last 70 years of their existence, like, this wouldn't have been any small detail because uh, this experience of exile would have most certainly been an experience of, like, what we might call divine hiddenness, meaning, like, over the last 70 years, it would have felt like God had hidden God's self from the people, Like for the last 70 years, it would have felt like God had been absent, that God had been far off, that God had been removed from their daily existence. And so as they're hearing this news that the glory of God is about to be revealed, this would have been a definitive marker that suggests that exile is indeed once and for all over. Now notice uh, in particular here how creation itself responds to the news of the glory of God being revealed. We're told that every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, that the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. This is how creation responds to the glory of God being revealed. Now imagine uh, for a moment that one afternoon uh, your friend who lives just a few blocks down the road uh, calls you up and your friend says to you, uh, I have a fresh pot of coffee, freshly brewed, and I have a pie that I just took out of the oven, and it's got both of our names on it, so why don't you come down and join me on my porch, and we'll spend the the afternoon sipping on some coffee and eating some pie. I don't know about you, but in the list of, like, perfect afternoons, this is pretty high up there. Like, porch, pie, and coffee, that's kind of the trifecta in my life. Now, the only challenge is, um, between your house and your, your friend's house a few blocks away, is not like smooth, pristine, uh, paved roads, nor like flat-level sidewalks. But between your house and your neighbor's house stands like a mountain. Uh, There stands a valley. There stands all sorts of broken sidewalks and uneven and rough places along the way. Now, if these things are standing between you, porch, pie, and coffee, what are we going to call these things? A barrier, right? (laughs) Now notice uh, how the, the Isaiah text handles these barriers when it comes to this, uh, this revealing of the glory of God. It seems as though when it comes to the, the glory of God being revealed, when it comes to the, the goodness of God being revealed, the healing, the wholeness of God being revealed, creation is willing to like almost bend over backwards to remove these barriers that stand between where we are and where we want to be, where it, which is the glory and the goodness and the healing and wholeness of God being revealed. In response to the glory and goodness and healing and wholeness of God being revealed, creation is willing to do whatever it takes to remove the barriers that stand between where we are and where we want to be. And now, if this is the response of creation, this removal of barriers, I think it's a fair question to ask ourselves, what will our response be? Um, it's interesting to note that in all of the Gospels, um, the, the writers pick up this language and this imagery from Isaiah 40 here. This, this imagery of valleys being lifted and mountains being lowered. And in all of them, it's uh, attributed to this uh, rather charismatic character by the name of John the Baptist. And John uh, comes onto the scene with like, this deep conviction that the glory of God, the goodness of God, the healing, the wholeness of God is about to be revealed. And this glory, this goodness, this healing, this wholeness of God is about to be revealed in a particular person named Jesus. And John speaks as if we must do whatever it takes to prepare ourselves for this coming of Jesus, for this coming of the embodiment of the glory, the goodness, the healing, the wholeness of God. And we do whatever it takes to make ourselves ready to prepare the way for Jesus into our life. Now, all of the the gospel's, seem to refer to this message as a message of repentance. (laughs) Now, if you spent uh, much of your life in the church, your skin might have crawled just a little bit, right? Because that's often used as a scary word, right? (laughs) And I think um, repentance in some ways has been distorted and maybe even a bit perverted uh, over time. Because oftentimes what repentance is presented as is um, like, Uh, it's presented with an image of God who is like cruel and vindictive and capricious in some way. And repentance is like throwing ourselves at the feet of this cruel and vindictive and capricious God and begging for God's mercy upon our lives. But notice how Isaiah, notice how John the Baptist uh, described repentance. It's not that. It's, it's a removal of the barriers that stand between where we are and where we want to be. It's a removal of these things so that we can be realigned with the glory, the goodness, the healing, the wholeness of God. It's a removal of these things so that we can find ourselves walking in the way of Jesus. Um, this, uh, this idea of repentance is about removing the barriers that stand between where we are and where we want to be. Which brings us back to these uh, two questions that we began with, of who do we want to be and how do we get there? Now that we've dropped the big R word of repentance, I think we can uh, describe these questions as uh, questions of repentance. Because I think these questions in and of themselves deal with like recognizing that We're in one place and we're not quite where we want to be and that there may be things standing in between where we are and where we want to be and maybe we need to deal with the barriers that stand there. Um, I think these are questions of repentance because it acknowledges that maybe some things need to be removed so that we can become the people that we long to be, the people who God longs for us to be. Now, if these are questions of repentance, I think that uh, our answers may often involve repentance, removing things that are in our lives. So we ask these questions of, who do you want to be? And how do you get there? I think there's uh, like two aspects to this question that we can, we can look at. Uh, the first one being like a personal aspect to it. Like, who do I as an individual want to be? Who do you as an individual want to be? And how do, how do I and how do you get there? So maybe your, question, your answer to the question of who do you want to be is, I really want to be a good parent, or I really want to be a good partner. Um, And you recognize that in your current state of life, you have a few precious hours in your evening where you can actually be present with your partner or with your child. But maybe uh, where you're currently at is you fill those few precious hours in the evening uh, with like binge watching Netflix. And you've fallen victim to the are you still watching screen more time than you would like to admit. (laughs) Well, it seems as though like if you're wanting to be uh, a parent or a partner who's open and available and spends time with your, Uh, your children or your spouse, then it seems like there's a pretty clear barrier between where you are and where you want to be, right? And it's those hours of Netflix. And so maybe to get to where we want to be, there needs to be some repentance involved there, right? A removing of this barrier of maybe taking it out completely, maybe setting up some limits, but removing the barrier that stands between where we are and where we want to be. Um, Or maybe uh, your answer to uh, uh, who do you want to be is, I want to be a peacemaker, I wanna be somebody that brings about healing into the conflict around us. But maybe as you examine your current life, uh, you recognize that you're spending an awful lot of time on something like Facebook, right? (laughs) And your approach to peacemaking and bringing healing into conflict has been uh, jumping into any and every argument that you can find along the way. But maybe rather than bringing about peace and healing, um, you've actually brought about more division and more polarization. And so maybe between where you are and where you want to be, we recognize that there's this barrier of Facebook. <laughs> and maybe we need to do some repentance. And we need to remove that barrier, step away from the keyboard, and instead of like, you know, commenting out for all of the interweb to see, we instead pick up the phone and call a person and say, Hey, I saw you posted this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because I think differently, and if you would allow me, I would like to share my thoughts on this too. So that's kind of the personal aspect. But there's also like a corporate, communal, collective sort of aspect to these questions. And it's not just who do I want to be or who do you want to be, but it's who do we collectively want to be? We as a people, we as a congregation, we as a neighborhood, we as a city, who do we want to be? And how do we get there? Uh, one of the things that's really been on my heart as of late is like access to affordable and safe and healthy housing. Um, and there's a, a book that I read this past year called Evicted um, by a sociologist named Matthew Desmond. And uh, he, he shares all of these stories of people who live in like, less than affordable or healthy or safe housing. And then at the end of the book, he comes to this conclusion that um, home, we have homelessness in our nation because somewhere along the way, we as a people decided that we were okay with people being homeless. Think about that. He said, we have homelessness in our nation because somewhere along the way, we as a people decided we were okay with people being homeless. I don't know about you, but as we think about us as a people, I hope that we're not okay with people being homeless. And I would hope that uh, as we think about where we are and where we want to be, that we would acknowledge this barrier of this, like, passivity towards homelessness, and we would repent of that and remove that barrier so that we can actually begin to work towards safe and affordable access to housing for all people. Uh, Or the last one here, um, you know, we've seen uh, racial injustice on, like, full display uh, this past year, and... um, I don't think any of us would say that that's where we want to be as a people, right? (laughs) And so as we acknowledge like where we are and where we want to be, a a people where there is racial justice, where there is racial equality, we recognize that there are some barriers that stand in the way. Some of those are personal barriers, right? Like some of us are just haven't educated ourselves enough. Um, And so removing that barrier is reading books, listening to podcasts, engaging in dialogue. But we also recognize that there are barriers of like structural, institutional, systemic sorts of racism baked into the system. And so an act of repentance is like maybe writing to government officials. Maybe it means like protesting. (laughs) Maybe repentance means like putting our bodies out there to begin to dismantle these systems that stand between who we are and where we want to be. Who do we want to be and how do we get there? There's, these are questions of repentance that often come with answers of repentance. Um, now, lastly, I'll note that we find ourselves in the season of Advent, um, which is like uh, in some way an exile in and of itself, right? <laughs> um, because it's a season where we find ourselves like expectantly uh, waiting and wandering. And I think there's just this beauty of this being baked into uh, our calendar each and every year to sit in this period of expectant waiting and wandering. And maybe we would do ourselves a, a good service if, like, we took this time and were intentional to strip away these things that often cover up these questions that are aching to be asked in our soul. If we carved out some space to uh, put away the distractions, to put away the, the, the semi-superficial ways that we've uh, defined and described ourselves and allowed our souls to ask these questions of who do you want to be and how do we get there? My prayer for us is that we would um, engage in this work, that we would open ourselves up to the vulnerability that comes with this work. And as we uh, open ourselves up to these questions of who do we want to be and how do we get there, that we would be willing to take on these steps of repentance and removing the barriers that stand between where we are and where we want to be. And in doing so, we might be people who experience and begin to reflect the glory and the goodness and the healing and wholeness of God that we see on full display in the life of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we're, um, we're grateful that you are a God of love, and that's how uh, scripture defines you. God, we're grateful that um, uh, repentance isn't uh, an act of like pleading before a cruel or vindictive or capricious God, but that um, repentance is an invitation to join in in your glory, your goodness, your healing, your wholeness being revealed. And that repentance is just clearing out, removing all of the things that stand in the way of us experiencing that. God, in the season of Advent, um, I pray that uh, we would uh, allow ourselves the space uh, to let these uh, questions rise up from our souls, uh, to ask ourselves these questions of who do we want to be and how do we get there, to ask these questions of repentance and begin to, to step into these acts of repentance so that we can experience uh, all that you've, you've longed and created uh, us to be. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.